Welcome to Leo Rising, a living tarot and creative intuition podcast. My name is Jenna Fox, and I'm a queer adoptee witch raised in fundamental Christianity and a mama to two rambunctious kiddos. Labels really help me tell a story about my way of being in the world. I'm influenced by my profession as a community college instructor and licensed mental health counselor, as well as my experience as a tarot reader and Reiki practitioner. If you're looking for declarative statements or black and white guidance, I'm probably not your gal. My approach to these conversations is less of a how-to and more of a come along on the journey with me. I don't presume to have the answers, but I'm enjoying working out the process with you all. So let's get started. I'm really happy to have you here. Today on the podcast, I had the pleasure of talking with Shaler of Foxglove Medicinals. So in the past year, I have become really interested in the world of herbalism and plant medicine, and Shaler is working in native species regeneration. Their um, Instagram, Foxglove Medicinals, says that they are a plant ways for rebel mystics. And one of the things that we talk about towards the end of the um, interview is the creation of specific specific plant medicine, tinctures, salves, etc. for trans folks. So definitely give this episode a listen. Would love some love on it and um, hope that you really enjoy our lovely conversation around plants. Taylor was such a delight to have on the podcast. So, okay. You guys, I want to welcome Shaler of Foxglove Medicinals to the podcast today. Before I dive into sort of all of the hundreds of questions that I have, I just want to give you an opportunity to, you know, share who you are and anything that sort of feels good to just start our conversation with. Well, I'm originally from New Hampshire. I am an herbalist or a plant person, I like to call myself. I haven't quite found the title that feels the most comfortable yet. And I reached out to you to be on this podcast because I'm a fellow Leo rising and I thought that that would be a good thing to connect on. I love it. I sort of feel like I need to have a whole season where I just talk to Leo risings. (laughs) Right. I'd be like, listen, no discrimination, but Leo rising's the best. (laughs) It's the namesake. Right? Okay. I have so many questions about herbalism and plants because it's something that's been really on my on my radar for like the last year or so, like in a really intentional way, but I think it harkens back to like when I was a kid. So I'm curious, like how you got into this world of plant magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I, like you said, some part of my childhood was always really interested in the world around me. I grew up in a really rural place. I was very isolated and I was by myself a lot. And so my main companions were always trees and I was really into fairies when I was a kid and I would just go off into the woods for hours by myself and play and build fairy houses and and like just really magical things like that and then I think I grew up and I you know wanted to fit in and I kind of got away from that a little bit Um, but after college I um, got really interested in energy work because I had a friend who was practicing and she taught me and I think that really expanded my awareness starting that practice and I felt myself being really spiritually guided in a lot of ways that I had been closed off to before so after that I landed in Vermont and I just had this really strong gut feeling that I was supposed to start working with plants and I, I asked a friend and I had a school recommended to me the Gaia school 
in Putney, Vermont. And I was on the website for probably five seconds and I just knew, like I had this feeling in my heart that I just knew that it was where I was supposed to be. And the rest is history. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Even going back to what you're talking about being a child and kind of tromping through the woods or being outside in nature and the, the, the connection with fairies. I'm pretty sure I believed in fairies and elves like way longer than any of my peers um, to the point yeah. where like I was like in seventh grade drawing pictures of an elf that, you know, and just that kind of like bent towards, toward the magical. But then isn't it interesting how it kind of takes us a long kind of winding journey to sort of end up back in, in this place where we can talk to plants or experience their magic in a different way. It does. And I think we sort of have to go through that journey. And I think for me, you know, really trying to ingrain myself in conventional society was an experience that I had to go through in order to more fully embrace who I am now Mm. and just Mm -hmm. understand that that's not where I wanted to be and that I had these guides really from nature who were pushing me along my path the whole way. They were just, you know, in the background and I didn't see them or to feel them, but they were still working their magic on me even while I was ignoring them. Yeah. Being able to look back and see like, oh, there were some breadcrumbs along the trail leading yeah. me back home. Okay. I see you now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about this energy work that your friend was doing. Was there, was it a specific like modality or was it just kind of their own energy healing that they were yeah. kind of working with and teaching you? So she's a Reiki practitioner. Um, okay. And And so I did really, you know, levels one, two, and three training with her. And she was very connected to um, the Yusui Shiki Ryoho lineage. But I realized through my own experience in the practice that I was diverging Mm -hmm. um, from what she taught me. And I was following my own intuition about things. And I realized that culturally, I personally didn't really feel comfortable calling myself a Reiki practitioner because I thought that, you know, it has a specific context within Japan and within those teachers. And there was really controversy over whether those teachers, like, should bring it to the United States at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think for me, I just became more comfortable calling my practice energy work. It's just broader. And I think it's more encompassing of what I do. Yeah. I've had some of those similar kind of misgivings and not knowing how to, especially when you're not following a lineage, like specifically and kind of doing your own thing. It's, it's like, it's not honoring maybe the, where it came from by saying, by calling it Reiki anymore. But then right. I struggle. I'm like, well, then how do I explain it to people where Reiki is now in hospitals? And, and then you have the cultural appropriation aspect of it. And it, it becomes like a really complicated um, or maybe not complicated battle. You know, mm-hmm. it's tied myself of like, what do I do with that? Yeah. I mean, I'm happy that it's become more widespread and that people are having greater access to it and that it's being offered in hospitals and hospice and all of these wonderful ways that people can be nurtured by the practice. And I think that there's space for all of us to examine, you know, mm-hmm. what our connection to that practice is and, you know, who we are and mm-hmm. how that could be seen by other people. Yeah, no, I think that that's like such a good point. And and what would be so harmful in just allowing energy work to exist without having to have it be, you know, a particular lineage or mm-hmm. connection to a culture that isn't, it isn't ours. You know? Right, because I found that even as genuine as my teacher felt that she was 
portraying this practice that had been handed down. When it, once it's removed from its original context, there's a question in my mind about how authentic it can truly be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think I just went through that process on my own and I appreciated that teaching so fully and it's really enriched my life in so many ways. And now I've just sort of made my own practice, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you want to describe, or maybe, maybe it's challenging to describe, but do you want to describe for um, the listeners, like what that looks or feels like your own energy practice? Sure. I mean, I think I still follow the sort of basic structure. So usually if I'm meeting with a person, I'll have them lie down either on the floor, on a mat, or on a table, or if that's not possible, you know, they can sit in a chair, they can lay on a bed, whatever's comfortable. And, you know, I usually set the space for them in a way, maybe have some nice lighting, some nice candles, something that smells nice if they like that, music if they like that. And then I just um, use my hands above or on the body very gently. And I usually start at the head and work my way down. Uh, And I tend to focus a lot on the head because that's where I personally feel the most energy when I'm connecting with somebody, when I'm first meeting their energy. I feel like the head is the strongest sensation for me where I can connect to them. Mm -hmm. And then I also spend a lot of time focusing on the heart and on the vital organs. And I spend a lot of time on the feet. And I really try to scan the whole body and For me, a lot of my energetic or spiritual experiences are visual. And so I see a lot of colors and I try to work with those colors to help guide me around their body to see where they might need some extra attention and love. Oh, that's beautiful. Is is seeing colors something that has kind of always been present for you? Or did that happen once you started kind of learning energy work? Um, I think it happened once I started doing energy work. Yeah, I don't I don't specifically remember it that much from my early uh, years, but once I started meditating really and doing energy work on myself, I started having, you know, really beautiful archetypical imagery and colors come through. And now the I see colors a lot when I'm doing that kind of work. I love that. It's it's so cool for me to talk with so many different people who have experiences where it's they're seeing or they're hearing or they're experiencing and it, it the information is coming to people in so many different ways or it changes over time and I right. and I really love that because I feel like I just sort of had this impression growing up that people who are intuitive or psychic or whatever it was just like one one mm-hmm. way and there's, mm-hmm. there's so many different ways that you can experience that kind of energy. Yeah, I remember right after I finished my level three training, shortly after that is when I moved up to Vermont and I got a session from somebody else and I told them that I had just finished that training and I had just moved up and, well, actually that I just finished it and she was like, so did your whole life change? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like very seriously, she was like, did your whole life get turned upside down? And it was like, yes, like I it was in this relationship, I got blindsided and dumped and I was so heartbroken Mm -hmm. and I thought I was moving one place and then I didn't know what to do. And I was lost and I was working three jobs and I couldn't get my life together. And then I was just like, all of a sudden I was in Vermont, like poof. I was like, I don't even know why I'm here, how I got here. And then this woman is like, did your whole life change after you got initiated basically into this practice? And I was like, you're all in on it. (laughs) (laughs) Like you all know that this was going to happen and and here we are. <laughs> I remember getting so sick 
you know, they talk about the attunement process and then after, you know, that you, you get your level one or your level two and that there's like a 21 day period. And I was literally sick for 21 days and then wow. I went away. And it was, it was awful because I was like, I brought this on myself. I knew what I was doing. They told me that this was going to happen. And I was like, it was like, just, it was not good. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, that same sort of like idea of my whole world didn't change in like dramatic ways, but definitely physically in my body. I was like, mm, going through it. Right. Yeah. It pulls out all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, so like looking back on it, that whole month prior, I kept pulling the tower card mm. over and over and I'm like, what could it possibly mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, just so such a dramatic upheaval and uprooting of my life. And now I can look back on it and see that it was really following this flow that was already determined for me. But at the time it just felt like chaos. So to have somebody be able to see that from the outside was really astonishing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially somebody that I had just met. (laughs) Right. Right. Somebody who's able to be like, okay, (laughs) like, how do you know? Yes. Mm. So it just sounds like tarot is a part of your practice as well. It is. I wouldn't say I'm an especially adept tarotmancer, but I use it to, to guide my own life and choices mm-hmm. just sort of casually and for friends. How did it, how did you get connected with tarot come into your life? It's sort of hard to pinpoint the moment. I don't remember exactly, although it was around the same time, mm-hmm. but I actually found like a Rider weight tarot deck at my grandmother's house. Oh, And I was like, can I have this? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, she wasn't really using it. Was and she into, was she into tarot? I don't think so. I think she, she had it in with like Skipbo and like, okay. like Yahtzee and stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. it was in with like the games. And I think that she had sort of flipped through it and maybe played it, but she saw it as like a game. Okay. Okay. Um, I've, talked some, still I've talked to some people where like their parents were kind of against tarot or weren't into it, yeah. but then they find out that like their grandparents or great grandparents did tarot. So, so yeah, my grandmother always like really protected me when I was a kid too. Like I remember when I was probably like 11 or 12, I had this like preteen witchcraft book mm-hmm. and it came with like a pentagram necklace, like just a really cheap one. And I was wearing it. And my grandmother had a friend over and she was like, you take that necklace off right now. That's the devil's sign. And my grandmother just like smarted her. Mm. She was like, she was like, my granddaughter's not taking that off. You can't tell her what to wear, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, go granny. She she protected me so fiercely. And I was like, cool. (laughs) Maybe my grandma's a witch. I don't know. Okay, so herbalism. Where are you at with that? And and I'm curious too how you you made it from Vermont to Minneapolis. Like that sounds like a a journey. Yeah, yeah. So, um I moved out to Minneapolis because my partner lives here and um wanted to be together obviously. And it was sort of a time when I was in Vermont there was this shift that happened where a lot of my friends moved on and I was feeling kind of like maybe it was time for me to try a new cycle as well. Mm-hmm. So I came out here and I've been here for about two years. Um, and it is an amazing city. However, I am planning on moving back to Vermont. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to move back together, which will be really, really fun. 
And a lot of that motivation to move back is because of my herbalism practice. Mm -hmm. It's really what is important to me and what I want my life to be centered on. I don't want it to just be something that is, you know, like on the periphery. It's like, I want my whole life to be centered around plants. (laughs) Yeah. You want that to be the foundation. Yeah. And it's hard to do in a city. Mm -hmm. Um, it's taught me a lot of lessons here about pushing myself to connect with nature in an urban environment and being able to find those pockets. And Minneapolis has a lot of them. It's a very green city and there's really beautiful parks and lakes. Um, but the thing that I'm very passionate about is native species regeneration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've learned a lot about that living here because there's some prairie restoration projects and um, you know the prairie out here is a totally different ecosystem from where I grew up, but I really have fallen in love with it and would love to see more of it restored. So basically that requires somewhere that I can grow plants and propagate native species. Um, and maybe, you know, hold classes or workshops about how to do that. So that's why I want to move back somewhere that's more rural. Yeah, that's amazing. So is that how people do the like the native species rehabilitation or uh, repopulation is that they grow them themselves and then they're just there like how does that process work yeah typically so I mean it depends I guess it depends but there are certain landscape companies here even you know where people can say I want my landscaping on my yard to be all native species Mm. And that's a, that's one way that people can do it. Or someone might say, we have this big stretch of land that's however many acres and we want to restore it. And a lot of times um, fire is used on prairies because it helps for the seeds. And mm-hmm. the other thing is that once you start planting those native species, all the pollinators do the rest of the work for you. Right. So when you plant those species, you're really helping to feed the pollinators and then they spread the seeds and then the native species populations grow. Yeah. Because we don't have to meddle in all the things, but like, let's right. bring them back and then like they're reintroduced and they're able to go. Cause that's their home. Right. Oh, yeah. So, that. and I mean, working with plants as an herbalist, you know, there's a lot of plants that are great medicine that are invasive species or they're alien. They're from Europe. They're brought by settlers or they're from Asia. Or they're from Africa. Even there's, so many plants that are here on this continent now and we can harvest those for medicine so that helps control those populations and then plant native species to help uh, encourage biodiversity yeah if if people were interested like they they're like okay i don't even understand or know what this herbalism is like could you mm. give maybe sort of like a concrete description of kind of like the things that herbalists do or how there were, I mean, besides the planting native plants, Mm -hmm. like I think that that makes, makes a lot of sense, but like, um, like you're talking about invasive species and working Mm -hmm. with them to make medicines. Like what Mm -hmm. does that look like? Sure. Yeah. And I would say that every herbalist is different and every herbalist and every person that works with plants has different priorities. And what I found within the herbalism community is that um, not really a lot of folks talk about native species regeneration. Mm -hmm. It's more of an ecological issue. I see a lot of biologists talk about it and a lot of field field biologists and ecologists are talking about it. Um, But it is very relevant to our work because it's how we're going to take care of our planet, really. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, as for the rest of it, I mean, basically plant workers grow plants, um, harvest plants, and then they can make, they can obviously use them for tea. They can make um, an extraction in alcohol, which is called a tincture. They can make an extraction in oil, and that could be something like a salve that you would apply topically on your skin. Basically, just any way of uh, working with plants to help heal the body physically and also emotionally and spiritually. Mm. Do you have any go-to plants that are like the ones that you feel like the, you're most aligned with or like have helped you through, you know, transition or they just kind of speak to you louder than maybe others? Absolutely. I mean, when I was in, in my apprenticeship, you know, you probably learn hundreds of herbs and I do not use most of them. I really only use a, a few of them and they're the ones that have stuck with me. And then every now and then another one sort of wiggles its way out. And it's like, oh, remember you learned about me? And like, now it's time that you got a deeper relationship with me. Um, and so there are some that I work with almost every day. And those would be probably nettles, um, Tulsi, marshmallow root. I've been working with astragalus a lot recently. And then um, for anxiety, I use skullcap and passionflower. And I use those very frequently. Um, and rose lavender and I think those are my main buds yeah yeah I love that and do you find like do you go out and find them do you do you did you plant them and harvest them yourself do you buy them like how how does that process work because you because you're in a city right yeah being in a city it's a little bit more difficult and I generally end up buying my herbs from a store we have a couple really nice local apothecaries in Minneapolis um and at first, I almost had some sort of like complex around that, mm. like that I wasn't like a real herbalist because I wasn't growing my own medicine or something like that. But I, I honestly think that's really sort of an internalized like classist viewpoint because not everybody's going to have access to land and not mm -hmm. everybody is going to have access to fresh plants and like right from the farm or on their own property. And it's just we have to work with what we have that is the best available to us. And so now I have no problem. I'm like, yeah, I buy it from the store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, I get the best quality that I can afford. And those plants still have a tremendous healing effect on my spirit and on my body. And so I don't feel like there's any lack in their medicine, but I do feel sad <laughs> because they give me so much and I, I feel like I want to be in a reciprocal relationship and give back. And that's why I really want to focus on growing plants because then I would feel like the relationship was more balanced. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really helpful when we can kind of share with people that it's okay, kind of no matter where they are on the journey or where they are like in, in life that they can still have some access to this kind of, plant magic without the perfectionism of like maybe there is the ideal of everything is native and we have this whole you know situation going on and mm -hmm. um we're able to just go out in the woods and find it and it's like we don't all not all of us have access to that and the grocery store or apothecary or wherever we can kind of try to find these we can start there and then we can do better hopefully. absolutely yeah and i always tell people you can start with one plant 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go to the store and buy tea. It's already in a tea bag and it's something that you like. Just start there and then see, maybe you get a little bit more curious about something else. And then maybe you say, oh, well, these bulk herbs are pretty good. Maybe I want, want to go over there. And, you know, it just start small and see how it snowballs in your life. Yeah, that was one of the cool things when I started learning about herbalism and, and making tinctures. And what was cool is that it felt so... Um, it felt so natural. And then I did some research and realized that, you know, I had some ancestral um, experience in this, but I just started noticing plants, not even plants necessarily that I would use for medicine, but like actually being able to drive down the road and be like, that's that. And this mm-hmm. is this, <laughs> like, you know, right. instead of just lumping it into like greenery, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. my backyard has so many different plants that I didn't right. know you know, I'm like, oh, I know the lilac tree. Okay. But like, oh, that's fireweed mm-hmm. or plantain or, you know, and just like paying attention. Right. And how beautiful that awareness is. And the, it really makes you appreciate your surroundings. Once you can name the things that are around you and recognize them as being different and special and important, then you really start to open up your consciousness to the greater world around you. And I think that's where that drive and that passion comes in to then protect it because you realize how important it is. Yeah. They're like friends. I can, I can Mm -hmm. differentiate. I can see driving down the road Mullen and be like, that's Mullen. It makes drives way better. I commute every day in the city. And I'm, so I'm noticing like the free, the side of the freeway plants, you know, I'm like Mullen, blackberry Mm -hmm. bushes, (laughs) you know, I'm like, Oh, look, there's a little plantain. And talking, yeah. and talking to my kids about identifying the things when we go on walks and stuff. And it's cool, even if I'm not necessarily using them or making them into anything, just like first step, know what they are. First step, open my eyes and see plants. Totally. Yeah. Just look at them. I mean, I tell people this all the time too. And this, a lot of my practice being in the city, not having access to plants that are, are healthy to harvest is I just sit next to them mm-hmm. and you can have an energetic exchange with them and you can see, you know, is there some medicine that you can receive just by being in their presence? And mm-hmm. I think that energetically connecting with plants is a huge part of my spiritual practice, even more so than harvesting, even more so than making, you know, tinctures or salves or any kind of medicine. It's really about connecting to them while they're living, growing being in the wild. Yeah, it makes me even think back to when you were talking about seeing energy um, and seeing colors Mm -hmm. and how just my favorite right now has been goldenrod. And Mm. because I I came upon, we were were, um, up at this little cabin in the fall and I came upon like an entire field of goldenrod and the color, ever since I was a kid, that was the color crayon I wanted to use. I don't know. It was just Mm. so happy and cheerful. And it's just like, I want to just bound into the, into the field and just like be happy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And we can do that. (laughs) The plants allow us to access those emotions that we sometimes hold back. I think when we grow up and we get a little bit more reserved or think we can't just run off into the meadow and laugh and holler, but we can. And the plants invite us to do that. I think that's a big part of their healing. Yeah. It's so great. So, um, up next for you is Vermont. Is that in the near future? Or is that kind of more long-term dreaming? Um, it'll probably be at some point 
in the next summer or fall. Okay. Yeah. So my short-term dream this winter is sort of to get a little micro apothecary happening Mm -hmm. um, just so that I can make the things that I'm making more accessible. So that would probably take the form of some kind of little online store. And um, I always sell everything that I have at sliding scale cost. And I, I mean, I'm like basically zero to however much you want to give me mm-hmm. um, within a suggested range, I suppose. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to implement that in an online form. But I'm, yeah. I know that it's possible. What are, um, some of the th- what are some of the things that you make? Well, I, I have some um, tinctures, but I think I'm realizing the thing that I enjoy making the most are um, like salves and balms and body butters and winter is totally the season for that. So I'm just really mm-hmm. just feeling into that right now and just loving it. But um, yeah, I think that's really where I found myself like using plants the most. Like I, I made some tinctures. I made a lot of tinctures when I was studying and I have, you know, I don't know, maybe 10 of them now. And I realize I don't take them very often. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that really like I just don't really do it. I either drink tea or I'm like rubbing them all over my body. <laughs> yeah. So I think what I really want to sell would probably be sort of like topical formulations. I love that. And I think that that's one of the things like I got into herbalism kind of through tinctures and, and making infusions where like mm-hmm. I would just drink nettle that had been sitting and, you know, steeping for a couple of hours and, mm-hmm. um, but like body oils and butters and things like that is it's so, it just, it's such a beautiful way to experience the plant it really on, my, is. on my body. Yeah, it feels really powerful to me and it feels really simple. And I think the thing I love about it is that in doing it, you're really nurturing yourself. You're really caring for yourself, parenting yourself. And like you're connecting with your body, like really feeling it and like just understanding and listening to where it's at. So I think that's why it has become such a beloved practice of mine. Yeah, I thought when I started, I was like, oh, there's not going to be any difference between St. John's wort oil and cedar oil, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then I put it on my body and I was like, oh, I can, t- I can tell when I'm, mm-hmm. when I'm just like the practice and it's the same massage that I give my neck and my arms and my legs. And then it's like my body just re- like receives the energy differently and I can it's subtle it's not like I'm drinking six cups of coffee bouncing off the walls but it's Mm -hmm. just just that like working with that subtle energy for sure yeah I think that's a really beautiful aspect of it and allowing ourselves to quiet enough to hear those subtle messages and giving Mm -hmm. ourselves space to do that Mm -hmm. and I like luxury Yeah, I like to feel good. So I like things that are like love that. Do you have some? Do you have some Taurus in your astrology chart in your natal uh, chart? I'm, I don't have any Taurus, but I'm a Libra. Okay, that's the other. Yeah, yeah, some good balance. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. only know enough about astrology to kind of be dangerous. I don't know enough to be like actually helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, once you open the book, you could probably fall into it forever. Oh, I know. It's just all the different layers, but that's the same as herbalism too, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I start with one thing and I was trying to just sit with one plant and learn about it. And suddenly I'm memorizing all these different, and it, might, it just goes back to when I was a kid, when I would 
now we live near the Cascades um, over in Seattle and the Washington. And I just remember being that like nerdy kid would be on a hike and I'd be like, that is Trillium and blah, blah, blah. And I just had like, was so proud that I had memorized 42 of the 84 Cascadian wildflowers. And it's like, I was probably really fun to be on a hike with. Like I was either whining or I was being like, look, that is the coastal rhododendron. I know. I honestly can't restrain myself. I, I try because I'm like, my friends don't want to hear every single plant along the walk, along right. the hike. But I, it's like, it just bursts but that's out. Like be, but that's like being at a party and not introducing your friend to all your other friends. I know. I know. I'm prone to like screaming too when I see one that I haven't seen before in the wild or, you know, I get really excited about it. And then it's like, ah, I just can't contain it. It's like, you, like you said, it's like, imagine seeing your best friend that you haven't seen in, I don't know, three years or something. It's like, it's so exciting. I can't contain the joy when it yes. happens. Yes. I love it. <laughs> mm. Okay, so my my podcast is, well, it has, you know, a tarot bent to it, but it's also, it's really about creative intuition. And I'm just curious, when you hear the words creative intuition, like, how would you define that? And maybe where is it showing up in your life, like, this week? Creative intuition. Well, I guess in working with plants, I really feel like the plants are speaking to me and speaking mm-hmm. through me to lead to lead my intuition. And it's almost like these ideas just like, you know, it feels as though they're just dropping into your head. But I know that they're really sort of being put there through the plants. At least that's how I feel specifically yeah. for it. Yeah. So this it week, sounds like it's a real relationship. Yeah. Like this week, for example, I wanted to make this new product that I that I am like trying to develop and I have this infused herbal oil so it's olive oil with a bunch of herbs in it like more herbs than like I usually make formulations of like two or three herbs and this one has like nine Mm -hmm. I never do that but it was the same thing it was like this like divine plant intervention was like we need to be in there and we want to be in there and we want to be in there and like you know all these plants are like this this is what it's going to be so I made that and I like had this idea. I was like, I think this needs to be a body butter, like just super creamy, really thick whipped body mm-hmm. butter. But I was like, but then I, but then my thinking brain took over and it was like, but will it be a strong and will it still be what it needs to be? And maybe you don't really know how to do that and blah, blah, blah. So I sought out some advice on my Instagram and I got so much wonderful feedback. It was so helpful. And then at the end I was like, I'm just going to do what I was going to do anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did it exactly how I was going to do it because I knew the whole time, like my intuition was leading me already to the point that it was like, this is what it wants to be and what it needs to be. And, you know, I let myself get distracted and sort of overthink it. But in the end, I just followed that creative light. Oh, I love that so much. And it, it turned sounds, out well. <laughs> yeah. It sounds luxurious. Yeah, I just, I, the only thing I don't like is this. I added a little bit of essential oils at the end just for fragrance, and I don't like the fragrance combination, but mm. I like everything else about it. So it was a successful first attempt. Awesome. Okay, so we've been talking for a while, and I just want to give space for if there's anything that you, you know, had been thinking about before we, um, before we started talking that you, or, or maybe it wasn't before, maybe it's just like on your heart now that you would want to, to talk about or share anything that feels kind of incomplete. Like you didn't, you know, you're going to walk away from this podcast interview and wish that you would have talked about it. I mean, there's so much because really once you start working with plants, it's so rich and 
so layered, but um, I guess I'll just go off of what I was just talking about, this sort of new thing that I'm creating. So I'm really passionate about um, trans health. And so this new body butter that I'm making is, um, it's meant to be like a binder relief mm-hmm. ointment. So it's like when someone takes their binder off, there can be pain, compression, um, and dysphoria. And so I created this uh, balm to apply afterwards that will like be a pain reliever, move blood, move lymph, get everything flowing again, and also meant to encourage, you know, support of the emotional heart. So I'm super excited about that. And I'm going to make another one also for like um, fresh breast tissue growth. Um, and I have a formulation already in mind for that one too. So I think I'm really, I'm really excited about um, starting to make medicine for queer and trans people. It's something that I'm very passionate about and have been brewing and stirring about for a long time. And it feels really good to finally put some action behind it and really start doing it. Yeah. It just sounds like as you're talking, like I just felt this place in my body of like release, like, oh, that is something that is so needed and isn't really talked about much. Yeah. I think it's really hard for trans people to access, um, you know, care in general, and it's really hard to navigate healthcare as a trans person. And there's so much that we can really receive from plants that we mm-hmm. can't receive from other avenues. Mm-hmm. So it just feels really good to me too, because it feels, you know, like, okay, I know this is part of my purpose. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I just actually need to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. you know, where, where the sort of Western medicine kind of can leave trans people out. It's like, it mm-hmm. sounds like one of your, one of your passions is to say that is not acceptable. Not it's not acceptable in Western medicine, but it's not going to be acceptable in herbal in the herbal community either. And let's, right. let's start creating some things that are really with this intention instead of just like, Oh, as a byproduct, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you can be included too. It's like, no, I'm going to set this intention that you're here at the front of the line. This is for you. Yeah. And I think to be honest, in a lot of herbal spaces, there isn't the message that you're included too. Mm -hmm. I haven't felt that. And I've in fact seen the opposite in a lot of herbal spaces Mm -hmm. and it's being challenged now, which I think is really important, you know, and I think a lot of books, a lot of teachers, a lot of uh, information about plants and about herbalism is really focused on cis bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of young herbalists now who are totally rewriting that. And I think it's important. It's tied into, you know, reclaiming ancestral plant ways from different cultures all over the world. And, you know, really saying like we have autonomy over our bodies and like over our healing ultimately. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, well, I don't love the the discrimination in the herbal community. What I love mm-hmm. is what you're doing to say, no, I'm going to do yeah. this other thing. And I think that that's like, gosh, it's just, it's so, it's so beautiful. And I want to be able to, you know, promote that and, it, and just have like other people know that this is a product. And for herbalists to know that this is something that they should be doing too. Right. Or just at least educating themselves about how to be a competent healer, you Mm -hmm. know, because it's like, if you're not really educating yourself about the different things that people have to go through in their lives and you're Mm -hmm. not really seeing that, or even if you're like, I don't, I haven't experienced that, but I'm willing to just hear you, to just see you and hear you and listen fully to what you're telling me Mm -hmm. without having to respond 
or judge and just like, you know, then find the thing that's going to give you what you need. Like, let's do it together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of just upholding the, the old way, the way we've mm-hmm. always done it or whatever mm-hmm. garbage mm-hmm. story we say about things. <laughs> right. To just stay complacent. Yeah. I really love where the, like the young herbalist community is going right now. I think people are really committed to fighting racism. I think they're really committed to fighting appropriation. And I think people are really also looking to support queer and trans health. And there's so many herbalists now. It's like, we're going to be an unstoppable force because there's just so many of us. So like, <laughs> I love that. So besides sending people to you and your Instagram, which I know that we will, we will get to, um, I'm imagining, let's say somebody's listening to this and for the first time, like a light bulb is like, oh, I need to know more about this, like how to support Mm -hmm. queer and trans health, but especially in this plant world. Do you have Mm -hmm. resources or advice or like how they could, you know, get more information to kind of get with it? Well, I would say there's so much information available online and there are so many queer and trans people who are really sharing their own stories. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the best thing you can do is just listen to what people are saying about their own life. And Mm -hmm. if you're reading something and you feel like you start to pull back from it or you start to feel um, defensive about something, it's like just allow yourself to soften Mm -hmm. and, you know, be like, okay, I just had this wall go up and now I'm going to let myself like soften and try to like understand and just Mm -hmm. take in more. And, um, I mean, there are some, there are books of course, but I really feel like everything that you could ever need to know is on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, and everything you need to know might be in, you know, knowing the people who would write the books and Mm -hmm. would, Mm -hmm. you know, share on the, on Instagram and stuff is like, like you said, there's that, that real human connection of like listening to people's story. Yeah. And if you have a friend, like, or there's somebody that seems like you have a good relationship with that is approachable and open to this, just ask them. Like, I'm really open to people asking me questions because I would so much rather help somebody understand than have them do something that's like really crappy to somebody Mm -hmm. else. So, I mean, I'm willing to have those conversations. Obviously not everybody is going to be because it's like, takes energy to do that. But um, I'm always willing to talk through stuff like that if somebody has questions about it. I love that. So where can people find you on the internet? Well, Instagram is probably the best place. I, my, my best friend and I refer to it as the sacred platform. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> if it ever goes down in flames, we need to create a new social media with that uh, yeah. as the title, right? <laughs> the sacred platform. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm on Insta. Um, Foxglove Medicinals is my name on there. Wonderful. You can always send me a message. I love it. Well, this has just been so, so beautiful and eye-opening and it makes me think about um, new things that I can be, you know, integrating into my own practice, even just going back to the beginning of the conversation around sort of that rumblings that I've had about whether or not I should still consider myself or call myself a Reiki master and, and what am I doing? You know, where's my place in mm-hmm. helping my fellow queer people um, have, you know, full range access to beautiful healthcare 
in Western medicine and beautiful access to all of the herbal, you know, goodies. So mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's, it feels like it's hit me in a, in a really tender place in my heart. And I just so appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing today. Yes, I appreciated it so much. Thank you. Yeah. Really from the bottom of my heart for having me. It has been a wonderful conversation. Hey friends, thanks for listening to Leah Rising, a tarot and creative intuition podcast. As of January 2021, this podcast and all of the information is archived. So feel free to listen to the episodes. The wisdom of the tarot is everlasting. But much of the information about um, booking a reading from people has changed in the last couple of years. So know that there isn't a tarot um, Instagram account or email address or way to get a hold of me for readings at this point. And of course, I will update that in the future if it changes.